don't have everything linked to a result. It'd be okay with just letting something flow and be rather than worrying about what the end result is going to be. We live in such a result-focused life that having moments in our life where we can just be okay with letting things flow. And that is what play is. Children don't think about if I do this, this is what's going to happen. And then the next thing that's going to happen is this. And if I get this wrong, then that means, you know, the calculative process. We don't need to have that all the time. You are here for a reason, but navigating this human life can be challenging. How do you care for your body, mind, and spirit to make the most of your time here on earth? How can you harness your incredible human potential? In this podcast, we explore these questions and more to help you craft your best life yet. Welcome to I Am Human. Hello, humans. I'm your host, Dr. Yami, and I am so happy to be here with you today. Welcome back to another episode of I Am Human. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review, and also share this episode or any of my other episodes if you feel that it might help somebody. To be human means to separate yourself from your body and feel disconnected, but it also means to tune in, to be mindful, and to ground yourself in the language and rhythms of your body. And our guest today, Radhi Devlukia, knows a lot about this. She earned her Ayurvedic Health Counselor One degree at the California College of Ayurveda. A clinical dietitian, nutritionist, and always learning cook, she brings a modern approach to the ancient principles of holistic healing. Roddy grew up in the UK and lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Jay. And we talk about her journey into veganism from vegetarianism. We talk about why what we eat is so important. We talk about Ayurveda. So if you don't know very much about it, this is a good primer, a good intro into what it is. We talk about the difference between the low vibrational foods and the high vibrational foods. We talk about a kitchari. I pronounced it wrong. I said kitchari. It's kitchari reset, what that is. We talk about some of her tips for living joyfully, why it's important to be playful in life and in the kitchen, and some daily rituals that you can use to ground yourself, to connect more with your food and with your breath. We talk about her journey as a serial seeker, a serial learner, and it's just really fun to get to know her, to get to know more about what's in her book and how this might help you. So I really recommend that you pick up her book, Joyful. It's beautiful. It's so colorful and vibrant. The recipes are amazing and you'll learn a lot. She puts a lot of educational background into her book so that you can learn more about the principles of IU Veda and the different spices and also different mindfulness techniques that you can put into your life as daily rituals. So I hope that you love this episode of I and Human. And now on to the episode. The information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. If you have concerns about your health or well-being, please consult a healthcare professional. 
Radhi Devlukia, welcome to I Am Human. What a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm really excited to get to know you more. You just come through as such a beautiful, warm, funny, relatable person on social media. So it's it's really exciting to actually get to meet you and talk to you and learn more about you and all the things that you're up to. But the first place I want to start is with your vegan plant-based journey. Tell me what prompted you to transition from vegetarianism to veganism. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was born vegetarian. First of all, thank you so much for that. That was so sweet. And um, I'm so happy to be here and I appreciate your energy right now too. So I just want to say thank you for that. But um, yes, I started, I actually was born vegetarian and then I transitioned into being vegan about 10 years ago. And it was because I had read this book called Eating Animals by Jane Safran. My sister had just read it. She turned vegan. My sister's four years older than me. I was like, I want to do everything my sister does because she was really cool. And um, <laughs> she was like, wait, before you do that, read this book so you know why you're doing this. And so I read it and I just couldn't unlearn or unread what I'd learned. And from that point on, I just started a slow transition towards being vegan, which took at least six months. You know, I slowly started cutting things out, finding alternatives, but it was a mixture of the first part of it was definitely the feeling of I can't justify the suffering of another being for the satisfaction of myself. That was one. And then the secondary part was once I started kind of taking that away from my diet, I noticed my body changed, like the way that it felt, how, you know, whether it was physically, but also energetically, where when you're not consuming things that have involved as much suffering, your body does feel different. Your mind feels different. And so then supported that lifestyle more. It made me feel good. And so therefore I kept doing it. So yeah, it was, it was a couple of reasons, but um, I haven't turned back since. <laughs> I love it. That is quite a book too. I've read it yeah. as well. And it, it, it hits heavy yeah. for sure. And yeah, I think that there's definitely some images in that book that once they're painted in your head, it's like impossible to erase them. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel. In your beautiful book, you wrote, what you eat along with your daily habits and the thoughts you think has the ability to completely transform every aspect of your health. Why is what we eat so important? What we eat is so important because if you think about it, it's the one thing along with breathing. It's the secondary thing we do every single day, more than once, more than twice, sometimes three, four times a day. So if you think about all the things that we do in our life and how they're affecting our body, the things that we do the most. So if you start balancing those things out in your mind, what are the things that are fueling me? Whether it's what you eat, whether it's all those other bits that we spoke about versus the things that are depleting me and taking energy from me. The reason food is so important is because food has the ability to either energize us or it can weigh us down, make us feel lethargic. Um, it has the ability to uplift us and make us feel good in our mood, in our digestion. All of those things affect the way that we carry ourselves throughout the day. And so nourishing our body is not just nourishing our body for ourselves. It's how we show up in the world, how we show up to other people. When you feel lethargic, when you feel energyless, when you feel depleted, you can barely give to yourself, let alone to other people. And so our nourishment is such a basic necessity. And when we don't tune into those things that we're using to nourish ourselves, it can cause us to just 
it's essentially us going downhill. We end up just degrading ourselves day after day and only realizing when it leads to disease versus tuning into our body and recognizing that maybe what I'm doing right now isn't supporting the lifestyle or isn't supporting the body that I have. I love that. That's so beautiful. And I'm not sure if you've heard this stat before, but in the United States, we actually eat an average of seven times a day. <laughs> so wow, it's yeah. quite a few times, but I love that what you said basically is self-care, what we choose to eat isn't just helping us, but it's something that helps us spread that love and energy and joy to other people, how we show up. And just like you were said earlier, like, you know, we can feel each other's energy, even though we're here on this virtual platform. Imagine when you are right next to somebody. So for those of us that we really care about serving others, Taking care of ourselves first, being mindful in our choices is a way to serve others too. And it's a way to serve yourself. Like we forget that we have to, in our mind, we have to see our body and our mind as a almost a separate entity. And what I mean by that is you have to show that you are also serving yourself, that you are loving yourself, that you're caring about yourself. And so nourishing and fueling yourself in the right way is a version of self-care. And when we don't do that, it's actually a version of self-sabotage. And so when we don't look after ourselves, it's a way of telling our body that, hey, I don't care about you that much. And so I'm actually just going to abuse you and and give you all of these things that actually don't replenish you and nourish you. And that is exactly the same as if you were doing that to a child. And the way that we think about our children or if, if you have a, you know, I have a niece and nephew, I'm like, I think about so much about what I'm feeding them, what I'm making them listen to, what I'm allowing into their bodies and into their senses. But then we forget that we have to do the same for ourselves. And so it is a way to show we actually care and are grateful for the body that we've been given by looking after it in the right way. Oh, such a good reminder. I love that. I don't think that can be said enough, especially in this modern age. I have to be honest, I do not know very much about Ayurveda, so I'd love to know what is Ayurveda and how long have you been learning and practicing the principles of Ayurveda? Yeah, so Ayurveda is a 5,000-year-old, ancient, ancient, probably the most ancient health science to exist, and it it talks about healing the body through what nature provides us. Um, It's a holistic means of, of health. It heals the body through everything that nature already has in abundance. Ayur means life, Veda means knowledge, and so it's a life science, essentially. Ayurveda is so beautiful because I actually trained as a nutritionist and a dietitian, and then I went on to study Ayurveda. And so I got to see the duality, I guess, of like Western medicine and then Eastern medicine, and I got to combine the best of both to be able to look after myself, but also share with other people. And what I loved about Ayurveda is that it is so individual. It, it specifically talks and helps you learn about your own body. And not only that, it doesn't say this is what you should do and these are the things you should have. It says this is how you tune into your body to understand your body, to take the power of your health back into your own hands. So how I eat a tomato will be really different to the way how when I eat a tomato, how it affects my body will be so different to the way it affects your body. And so it's not a one size fits all. It's telling you these are the foods that are optimal for your body type. It helps you to break down what is my body? What's it going to be fueled by and nourished by? What's it going to be depleted by? What what environment am I going to thrive in? What environment's going to drain me? And so it's about our internal environment, our external environment, and how we can optimize both to live an individual optimal life. And does it change seasonally too? Is that something else that you are taught to be mindful of 
with the practices of Ayurveda is how things change seasonally and maybe even over the lifespan? Absolutely. We are, we don't live in nature. We are part of nature. And so just as the seasons change around us, just as the weather changes, our environments change, we also are affected by that. And so when we actually eat seasonally, when we eat the foods that are meant to grow in this season, that are grown in the environment that we live in, um, the soil that we are standing on, of course, that will nourish our body the most. It's like a tree in the right environment will completely thrive if given the the right water, the right nutrients in the soil. And in the same way, when we're living in a specific environment, we also, our bodies start to adapt to that environment. And so they also want the fuel that is being provided by the soil and the earth that we are living on. So eating seasonally is a, is a big part of that, because as soon as you start eating foods out of season, it really can impact our body because we're eating foods that would normally be eaten. Let's say we're living in cold weather. We're then eating foods that we normally eat in summer. And so our body, even our digestive enzymes that are being produced, how how our body's feeling, it's all based around the environment we are living in now. And so it kind of confuses the body and doesn't allow it to digest even those things properly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's a few different things you talk about too that I was intrigued by. What is a low vibrational food? In Ayurveda, it says that every single thing, including the food that we eat, creates a vibration in our body. Like it has energy and creates energy vibrations in our body. And so it doesn't just affect our digestion and our physical body. Each food also has the ability to affect our mental state because of the energy that it carries. And so low vibrational foods are foods which are essentially very nutrient depleted. So whether that means leftover foods, stale foods, foods which have been deep fried or coated in like sugars and processed foods, um, whether it's uh, in Ayurveda, technically meat would also be considered a low vibrational food because if you think about it, it's something where the life has come, like the life is completely out of this body. And so it's almost, and I don't mean to be it's literally like eating our own human body when it is, when the soul and the life has left. And so the nutrients begin to deplete as soon as that happens. So actually, when it actually gets to people's plates or it gets to uh, people's homes, it, it it's already completely depleted in nutrients and has no vibration left in it because there's no energy, no life force left within within that body. Those are the low vibrational foods. And then the higher vibrational foods are foods which create this higher vibration, this higher energy force in our body. That's like fruits freshly picked from a tree. Imagine the nutrient density of that fruit. Imagine the, the, the energy that it's getting because it's connected to such a life source being earth. Like that's where it's getting its, its fuel from. It's like a baby in a womb, you know, like the most amount of nutrients it's getting is from its mother. And so if you think about it in that way, all the foods that are in its purest form, uh, that are almost un, unchanged and uh, unprocessed fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, like all those things which actually you eat in its its original form, they're going to be the foods that affect our mind, like mind and our body the best. Yeah. So these are essentially living foods, whole foods, living foods. And I think a few years back, maybe that was harder for me to understand, but maybe one way to think about it is if you get a hunk of meat and you bury it in the ground, nothing's going to happen, but it just rotting and disintegrating. If exactly. you take seeds from an apple, even if you just ate the apple, you take the seeds, life comes from it. There's life in there still. It's that. living. That's it's a so living true. food. 
And even just think about things like we have in our pantry, we might have potatoes in there. They start growing. If we, don't, if we don't eat them soon enough, they start growing. They're just trying to just live, you know, they're yeah. living foods. And so that's one way to kind of think about it is what would happen if you bury this underground? It's going to grow. It still has so life, it has a life force in it. So so is the that more high vibrational foods, are those the sattvic foods that you were talking about in exactly. your book? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Sattvic means mode of goodness. So there are three different modes. There's mode of goodness, mode of passion, and mode of ignorance. So the low vibrational foods would be mode of ignorance. The mode of passion foods are those foods that create a lot of stimulation in our body. So it's like the super sour, super salty, really spicy foods, you know, the ones that really almost excite our senses. And so it's not, it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing, but what it means is in moderation, they're great. When you have them in excess, it does the same thing to your body. It can increase the heat in your body. It makes you really not even aggressive, but energized and stimulated. And, and you know, our body is meant to be in a state of calm and peace. And so having too many things that overwhelm and overstimulate our body can also overstimulate our mind too. So it's all about that balance, <laughs> the elusive balance that we're exactly. always trying to reach with everything. Exactly. Okay. Tell me about Kachari. What is a Kachari reset? I know that you talk about Kachari recipes in your book, but what is a Kachari reset? Yeah, so um, Kachari is this, I mean, I've, I've grown up eating it. It's a mixture of lentils and um, rice and sometimes vegetables and lots of spices that are in. So it's basically a one pot dish. And when I was growing up, my mom would give it to me whenever it, it's the dish I would associate with being unwell. Because it seemed to be the most nutrient dense, like hug for your belly type of meal in, in our culture. Then as I grew up and I studied Ayurveda, I realized that it was like a pot of like gold for your gut. It's such a, a nourishing bowl of goodness. Every time you're feeling under the weather, every time your gut feels overwhelmed, when you feel like you have weak digestion, if you feel like you need a gut reset, kitchri. So what, what Ayurveda recommends is having a mono diet where you end up having kitchri either the whole day or you'll have it for three days, you know, whatever you want to commit to. And what that allows us to do is instead of starving ourselves in a detox, it allows our gut to get used to having one thing that it's used to, digesting the same thing over and over again, using the same enzymes to break down that food over and over again. And kitchri is already cooked. So it's, you know, it's cooked lentils, cooked basmati rice, very gentle on the stomach. And all those spices that help to reignite your digestive fire and and get your digestion, um, like soaking your digestion. It really helps to replenish the tissues, but also helps to ignite your digestion again. And so it's basically a one pot wonder. And so what you would recommend is that you can take a break from, have a gut break and do that for the whole day, or you could carry on for a couple of days if you wanted to. But it is a beautiful reset to do that doesn't involve you starving yourself or like keep keeping you hungry. It just allows your gut to actually rest. I mean, it sounds delicious. Rice is, is one so of my yummy. favorite foods in the world and lentils, oh, so delicious. I know, but same. also those spices are so anti-inflammatory and so healing too. So it makes sense that your mom would give it to you when you're sick because it is medicine. It's like medicine in a bowl, it you is know? Medicine. Spices is one of the big things I talk about in the book because I mean, there's a whole table of spices and every, like every spice that exists and all the medicinal benefits and how you can use them because in my culture, I grew up using them, but in a lot of cultures, it, spice usage is so limited. And actually, I have used spices and my spice box as my medicine box for years now. Whenever I've got a cough or a cold, I'll know which spice to turn to. Whenever I've got a headache, I'll know which essential oil to turn to. You know, spices and oils 
are can be our go-to and our, our turn to whenever we are feeling something in our body that doesn't feel right. And so I really wanted to share that in the book because it's transformed my life and using spices every day is like just a bare necessity for me. It's, it's, it's something that is a non-negotiable. Um, as part of my protective armor, it's improved my immunity, my digestion and just my overall health. Yeah, herbs and spices are our biggest bang for our buck when it comes to antioxidants because totally. they're all concentrated there. But I do think in the United States, the culture here, we're a little bit reluctant to try spices and we're afraid to introduce them to our children. So I'm curious uh, at what age in your culture do children start eating just what everybody else eats as far as like the spices in the foods? I think I had spices in my foods from when I was eating like even if it was pureed food there would definitely be turmeric in my pureed rice yeah. and there was definitely yeah. cumin powder coriander powder I grew up by I'd say by the age of five I had a very elevated palate because my mom was just throwing in the spice like I was having very spiced food not spicy not chili food but definitely spiced food where everything was vibrant and colorful and just infused with spices no matter what it was I was eating and I think that's a beautiful way to get children used to one, to help with their immunity from a young age, but two, to get them used to the different colors and, and the different cultures and the different cuisines of the world is through spices. You can turn a really humble potato into different dishes around the world just by using different spices. And I just love the magic of that, where you can get transported to a different country, a different culture, just through the spices you're using. I try to encourage parents not to be afraid of using yes. spices in their children's food because it is such a magical source of antioxidants. But the only way for humans to learn to like something is to repeatedly eat it. So the only way that we're going to teach our kids to like food is if we keep putting it in their food. So yes. that is something that, you know, just to practice to get used to whenever you're a parent. <laughs> I love what you wrote in your book. What I feed my mind, body, and soul becomes who I am. And I choose to be full of joy. I choose to be joyful. So what are your nine tips for living joyfully? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, so the nine Just tips. give me give me your give me your top top favorite if you can't remember all nine, because nine's a lot to remember. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to think, gosh, um, my nine tips of living joyfully. So Number one for me, and I don't even know whether this is one that I put in the book, but one for me right now, I'll tell you what my nine tips for living joyfully right now are. One is movement, moving my mind and my body, whether that is, and by that I mean moving my body physically, but also movement of emotions and my mind and releasing things through writing, through speaking to people, through really processing what's happening in my body. I don't believe that the body is meant to be a storage place. I believe it's meant to be an instrument to allow things to flow through you. And so as soon as we start storing things, whether it's toxins in the body, which creates disease, whether it's resentment or emotions that remain, become stagnant and stale in our mind, it affects the way that we live, the way that we interact with people. And so having a mechanism where movement becomes a part of our life, physically and emotionally and mentally, is so important for a joyful life. So definitely movement. Another tip for a joyful life, I would say eating consciously like and, and cooking consciously. There is such a disconnect nowadays between our body and the food that we eat because we've become so reliant on other people telling us what's good for us instead of listening to our body and being taught from a young age that, hey, what is this doing for your body? How is it making you feel? When you're eating this, what reaction are you feeling in your gut, in your mind? 
in every part of your being, how is it affecting you? And so what's happened is we've listened to the voices of so many other people about, oh, this salad is the best salad you've ever had in your life. It's going to make you feel amazing. You should eat it every single day. You eat the salad, it upsets your gut. No, but this person said, it's the best salad in the world. I have to keep eating it. It's going to give me six pack abs. It's going to, you know, it's <laughs> going to give me all the things that I need three days in. Oh my gosh, my gut is hurting so much, but I'm still going to keep eating it. So your body starts whispering at you. Then it starts shouting and then it just plain screams out at you. And how does it show up? Your physical ailments. You start aching, you know, your body pains, your skin flares up, your you know, if you're not getting the right nutrients, your hair will start changing or shedding, you know, whatever it is, our physical body starts telling us signals from the moment it doesn't like something, from the moment something is harming us. And so being conscious about our body and our connection to the food is just such an important part of living a joyful life. Because the more disconnected we are from our bodies, the less joyful we will feel. Because the less aligned we are with ourselves, the less we're getting to know who we are, the less we even know who we are. And so um, I think there's such a big part of that is understanding your body, being conscious and aware of the food we're putting into our body. And that's little steps like just, you know, if anybody, if this sounds too overwhelming for someone, simply write down what you're eating. And two hours later, write down how it's making you feel. That's it. I'm going to eat this and I'm going to write down the results of, of what, it, what it does to my body. And if you want, you can start purely on a physical level. This felt good. This didn't feel good. And that can be a really simple way to start. And then a third one, I'm sure spices were definitely in there, like including spices in your life for your gut, because I think spicing up your life and colors and vibrancy on your plate, it's just everything. Like we start our digestion from the moment we look at food, how we see food. And by the way, it doesn't have to be Michelin star presentation. All it means is what colors do I have on my plate? How attractive is the food to me? The way that I'm looking at it, what, you know, so when you go shopping, go and buy different colored vegetables. They all contain different nutrients and different vitamins and minerals. Eat the rainbow is, I say, it's something that should be prescribed to people. Like eat the rainbow, pick different colors and vibrant things to put on your plate to make it feel more attractive and to taste different flavors on your plate too. I wanted to touch back up on the being tuned in and, you know, paying attention to your body, because I think we have learned to disconnect from our bodies. And like you were saying, trust external things, even about when to eat, because like, we just look at the clock for, okay, it's, it's time to eat now because this is what the culture has told exactly. me is time to eat, or I just finished this thing, which means it's time to eat, you know? So yeah. I think it can take quite a bit of practice to unlearn that because we've yeah. been learning that as children. And I think it takes quite a bit of practice to trust yourself. Cause I think also it can be a little irritating because you don't want to, for me, I have several food sensitivities, you know? And so I, I know the things that don't make me feel good, but I don't want it to be true sometimes, know. you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like, I love no, this I bread so much. So, I don't want to be gluten free. That's exactly me. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm sensitive to wheat and believe me, bread is like literally one I of my favorite bread. things. And so it Same. took me so many years to finally be like, okay, it's not worth it because I do, I get the joint pain, the brain oh, fog, yeah. fatigue, and depression, which nobody wants that, right? No. And so sometimes it takes years to trust yourself and come to terms with 
choosing that path that helps you feel good versus one that just gives you that immediate gratification, you know? So it does take a while. And I think you have to be so... You have to be so gentle with yourself as well. And I think it's all about the, what we were talking about, the balance, right? Okay, fine. You stick to it 80% of the time. At least the 80% is good. But then if you feel like having a, you know, unless it's really going to be detrimental to you, if you feel like having a pizza and, you know, it may not feel, make you feel great, but once in, you know, a couple of weeks you end up having it, it's also okay. But it's all about that percentage of like, I know these are the foods that don't make me feel good. So I'm going to eat them, but in smaller amounts. And all the foods that make me feel abundant and wonderful and vibrant, I'm going to eat more of them. And I think that's a great way to live. Like it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. It can be, you know, 80, 20. I feel like that's a good place to to be at. Absolutely. Well, and especially if you do it from a place of non-judgment, right? Yeah. We're not bad people because we are attracted to certain foods. And when you come to it from a place of non-judgment and you're more gentle with yourself, I think you do end up making those choices sometimes that align better with how you want to feel without feeling bad about it too, you know, instead of just like, honey, why did I do that? You know, I I can't believe I ate that. You know, it's more like, well, you know, I made the choice and this is what happened and it's okay. You know, exactly. In Ayurveda, it says that actually, nothing is good or bad like nothing is innately good or bad it's about how does it affect us it's not about you know something that's good for you may be terrible for me and so actually nothing is good about it's understanding what's good for you and what's what's not so great for you I think that you are a master at playfulness and I can see that through your social media and just like your energy is very playful so tell me why is it important to be playful not just in life but also in the kitchen I think our childlike nature is always part of us, you know, and I think it's when we end up minimizing that and not allowing us to, and by play, I don't mean you have to be silly, like you don't have to act like a child, but by play, I mean, don't have everything linked to a result. It'd be okay with just letting something flow and be rather than worrying about what the end result is going to be. We live in such a result focused life that having moments in our life where we can just be okay with letting things flow. And that is what play is. Children don't think about, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. And then the next thing that's going to happen is this. And if I get this wrong, then that means, you know, the calculative process, we don't need to have that all the time. And so playing in the kitchen, I just mean, don't take it so seriously. And by play, I also mean be intuitive, like use the book as a guide, like use a recipe as a guide, but also if you think, oh, actually, I think this spice might be amazing in here, give it a go. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you add that spice in? Okay, fine. The, the recipe may not turn out great. So then you could try it again. And so I think it's taking away the fear of our own judgment of ourselves of, oh, I'm going to fail at this. Because honestly, no time spent in the kitchen is going to be a failure because it's just time invested in you. And so don't be afraid to play in, in life. Like be, I do enjoy being silly. Being silly is a big part of my life. Like I love just dancing about whether I've got dance moves or not. I love, you know, making people laugh and and creating joy in myself about my own life and with other people, like just not taking things too seriously. I think that's a big part of allowing life to happen to us rather than constantly trying to control and navigate and calculate everything. No, for sure. And I feel like since I went plant-based, I'm less afraid to experiment in the kitchen. And it's made me what I call an intuitive cook. So I can go into my kitchen, see what ingredients I have available and just literally throw something together without fear. And I think that takes some practice, but it also takes letting go of that need for perfection. 
Absolutely. You have to be like, okay, it may not turn out exactly like I thought it was, but sometimes it turns out actually better than you thought it will with the yeah. simplest combinations. And so I love going in the kitchen and I feel like I'm an expert at just like, okay, throw me a bunch of random ingredients and I'll find out a way to That's use the them. Uh, yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> Okay. So now I want to talk about your daily rituals that you talk about in the book. You said food and nutrition is so essential to good health and well-being, but so is mindfulness and stress management. You have a lot of daily rituals. So tell me about why is it beneficial to integrate mindfulness into a wellness routine? Well, mindfulness really just means the act of being mindful, which means present. And I realized so much of my life, I had been somewhere physically, but not been mentally present. And so I have so, so many memories that are lacking because I just wasn't able to settle into my body in the moments that I was having. And so I think being mindful really means how can I bring my mind back to my body and be fully present in this moment to experience it and live it and be in it. And I think it's important because it affects the way that we interact with people, the relationships that we have, whether it's fleeting interactions with someone that you meet at the grocery store, you know, the person behind the counter, you're all over the place and that person's trying to interact with you and they don't even get that moment of human interaction because your mind may be escaping itself. Or whether it's deep, meaningful connections with the people that you love, like presence and being mindful is the key to having those deep, meaningful interactions. And I feel the same way about our food because we have habits of stuffing a burrito while I'm typing and while I'm talking to this person and while I'm in my car and driving and we're always doing two things at once. Whereas with food, it's like we also have to remember that our body is a machine as well. We have organs that work in a specific way. And so if you don't give your body notice, a little bit of notice that food is coming, it will not be ready for it. And so your digestive juices will not start flowing. Your digestion will not start revving itself up for the food that's coming because you haven't even taken a second to say, thank you so much for this food. Like, let this nourish my body. Let, and taking a second to look, sometimes we don't even look at the food, we're unwrapping it, shoving it in our mouth, we don't even see what's going in. And so the process of, of, of gratitude before you eat, a grateful body receives food gratefully, it digests it better. Looking at the food starts your mouth salvating, which produces the enzymes required to digest the food in your mouth before it gets to your stomach. There's so much to just those little, little mindful moments throughout the day. And it doesn't have to be big things. Like breath work has been something which has changed my life to get me into back into my body. I use it as the anchor between my mind and my body, whether I am trying to relieve my anxiety in the morning or whether I'm trying to energize myself in the afternoon or whether I'm trying to put myself to sleep in the evening. Our breath helps us to come back to our body. And so... I, I love the use of breathwork throughout the day. So you can use, you know, I, I have lots of tips in there because I've tried and tested so many things. That doesn't mean you have to do all of them. It just means pick one or two that you connect to the most and start implementing them. I love what you're talking about as far as getting ready to eat. I am very particular about this because I do not like being rushed when I yeah. eat because I love eating so much. I want to be fully present <laughs> because yes. I love it so much. But there have been some interesting studies too to show that what we believe about our food actually affects 
how it impacts our body. So when we believe that a food is healthy for us and we have these thoughts about a food, it actually is more health promoting for us. So all of that whole ritual, how we tune into our food and being grateful for it and being like, oh, this, this food is going to nourish me. It's going to heal me. It probably will because that power of our mind interacts with our body. It's all connected, you know? I believe that. So amazing. Okay, something that I found super interesting that you talked about in your book is that you call yourself a serial seeker. So tell me about being a student for life and how it has benefited you. But also you mentioned in your book that at times it's held you back a little bit. So have you learned how to balance your appetite for learning more? I'm definitely very similar to that. I I want to have all the certifications. I want to learn all the things. So tell (laughs) me how you have found balance if you have. Yeah, I I definitely was a serial learner. I would just want to do course after course after course. And then I heard uh, one of my teachers, he said this one line that impacted me so deeply. He said, knowledge is useless unless it's shared. And I thought about that and I was like, wow, that's so true. Because when you end up building up knowledge in you, if you don't share it with other people, you end up believing it's your, your own knowledge. And then you end up building up ego about that, that you've got all of this information and it's your information when it's actually just meant to be, it's, you can be just an instrument of, of many. I see myself as like a grateful student of many great teachers. And I think when I see myself as that, and when I see myself as, as a bridge that can take people to, I may not know everything and I definitely don't, but what I can do is share what I've learned and then if I want to, if you want to know more, I could pass you through to the teachers that know even more than I do. And so that relieved the pressure that I was putting on myself because I was like, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but what I am claiming is I've tried all these things. I've learned these things from people that do know what they're talking about. And I have a platform where I can actually share that and how it's part of my gratitude to those teachers to be able to share it with other people. And I think it's so wonderful. We all have different teachers. And how sad that there are some people who will never interact with my teachers. And there'll be some people that will never interact with your teachers. I see my mom is a teacher. My grandma's definitely been such a big teacher in my life. My So many of my family members. And then my students, like my teachers that taught me at school. And then my Ayurveda. So many different life experiences we've had that can resonate with different types of people. And so I think it's our duty as humans to be able to you know, our way to serve other people is also to share. So that definitely helps me. Um, I still am a serial, serial learner. I just, I, this January, I started reading like six books at a time because I was like, I'm so thirsty for knowledge right now. I feel like I've depleted everything. I was like, I need to learn again. So I am reading, (laughs) but it's lovely. I love that. I love that. Whenever you were saying those, I got this mental image of how each human being is like this super unique tapestry of all their experiences and all of the things they've learned because you're right. Every single person is unique and then they filter it through their mind and their experiences. And with that, they can provide a new perspective. So yeah, it is important. It is important to share that because then it evolves that teaching that thing that we've learned, it evolves over time as it goes through these different filters and different souls and different minds. So that's really beautiful. Well, you speak about having a spiritual teacher in the book, and I got a little jealous because I don't have a spiritual teacher. So I want to know what is a spiritual teacher? How did you get one? And should everybody have one? Um, So it wasn't something that I, you know, planned or was going out there when seeking. I I was really fortunate to meet Radhanath Swami, who is an incredible teacher. He's 
been a monk for over 30 years. He was born and raised in the US. He then traveled through so many different parts of the world. He has a book called The Journey Home. And he talks about his story of how he ends up in India. And he goes through learning all these different spiritual practices. He learns so much from different religions and practices. And then he finds himself in India where he felt the most at home and and learns mantra meditation and learns um, the true like love of yourself and love of God. Like he really connected so deeply to the spiritual practices in India. And um, I heard him speak somewhere. Actually, I even think I heard him speak online first and I was so fascinated. And then slowly I started going to classes he was doing in the UK or going to places where he was sharing wisdom and information. And I was just so, it's so rare to find people who live and, you know, he says that integrity is when your mind, your words and your and your actions and your mind are all in alignment. Like when what I am thinking is what I'm also saying. And you know, when you meet people where you feel that energy is just so pure, you feel it to your heart. Like when they say something, it deeply penetrates to your heart. And I think that that's only possible when you have that true integrity. When you're constantly living in alignment, do you have the ability to really impact people's lives? So I, um, I would say I, I was very lucky to come across him and, um, he is just, He's incredible. He's actually the person that I started cooking for because I wanted to experiment with recipes. And I was, uh, when I, when I went, he, you know, different people get to recreate different meals for him. And I just started experimenting in the kitchen because I got the opportunity to cook for him. And so I owe him a lot in my life and I just learn constantly from him. But, um, does everybody need a spiritual teacher? I think so. And spiritual teachers can come in different forms. In the Gita, it talks about how your mother, your father, the earth, you know, the sun, everybody is our teacher. Everything can be our teacher. And so, and everybody can be our spiritual teacher if we know how to connect our entire life to our spirit and our soul. And so, yeah, I think having a guide in your life is always so beautiful. Having someone that to keep redirecting you in the, in their actions, the way they live their life. And I think that's what a guide and a teacher is viewing someone and admiring someone that lives and walks the life that you admire and would want to live yourself. Do you feel like here in the United States, we've become a little disconnected spiritually from spirituality? Do you feel like people have kind of just cut that part off and be like, "Ah, I don't need it. It's not that important. Or do you see like the opposite happening in your experience? Um, I feel like, I feel like everybody deep down, whenever we're looking for things, usually it's redirected and we're seeking we're always seeking this desire to fit in, to feel pleasure in our life, to feel joy in our life. But what happens is we misdirect it to other things. And so I think everybody is seeking to love and be loved and feel this deep sense of satisfaction and, and contentment in their heart. It's just that sometimes we don't know where to find it and how to find it. Some people haven't been introduced to spiritual practices in their life. And so I genuinely believe everybody wants to. I think it just comes to you in different ways and the time of your life it comes can be different and how you get attracted to it can be different. And so I've actually been really, I feel like you, you end up attracting what you want in life. And I've actually attracted such a wonderful spiritual community here that really want to grow together. They may all be from different, you know, they've grown up with different religious practices, different cultures, but their deep desire is just to connect to other people in spirit and soul. And to really grow and and create a better version of themselves. And I think that's what spirituality is. Constantly trying to realign, re, you know, reconnect with ourselves, connect to people on a deeper level. 
And so I think all over the world, there's disconnect. But I also think there's a deep desire to connect. But sometimes it's just misaligned and misdirected to other things. Yeah, very well said. What do you wish more people knew? That the power of their health is actually way more in their hands than they, than they realize. And they're not everything that you hear. And just because more studies are behind something doesn't mean that it's the right thing, yeah. if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah feeling empowered. Because Definitely. I think people have lost that feeling of empowerment over Absolutely. their health and then yeah. just giving it away to somebody else. They don't feel like they have any control over it. That's, yeah, yeah that's, I love that. How do you define success in this lifetime? To be able to live in the world, but not affected by it. To really feel this, this feeling of equanimity where you truly believe in you don't get affected by the ups and downs of life that comes. You accept them as part of life and to have a, this deep connection and live with integrity. Like actually that's it for me to actually get to a point in life where I can fully live with integrity, where I am so comfortable in my own skin, where I'm so comfortable with the people around me and the way that I live life. And I feel so confident in it and not false confidence, but confident that I'm living from my heart and from my spirit, not based on my ego, not based on what other people have told me of how I should live, but that I really feel deeply content at the end of my life because I know I have served myself and served others in the best way possible. That's beautiful. All right. I don't know if you keep a bucket list or not. I love Ooh. bucket lists, but do you, is, are there any items, if you do keep a bucket list that you would, that you have left on your bucket list that you want to share with us? Or is there a dream or goal that you have a burning desire to realize something that you've been contemplating recently? A burning goal like or, or a desire, did you say? Mm-hmm. Or bucket list items. <laughs> Honestly, all my, at the moment, and for a while since I moved away, all my bucket list moments and all of my, all of my desires are linked to creating memories of my family. They all are because I feel like I really feel the essence of time more and more and the feeling of time. I, I feel, especially since I've moved away, you know, you, you miss gaps of time with people and, so actually, I had a bucket list of being able to take my family away on holiday. I did that a couple of years ago to spend more time with my grandma and give her crazy experiences because she's 90 years old and she's the most amazing person in the world. And so I drag her all around the world trying to make her like do different things with me. And so, yeah, I think my, my burning desire is just to create, to be able to to be able to fully do everything I've always wanted to for people that I love. So I never feel like I didn't do that. Like, so I always feel like I gave and did my most for all the people that I love so that if, and you know, not even if, when the time comes where I can't do that anymore, I will feel like I have, and I've done everything that I possibly could. And I've started doing that um, a lot over the couple of years, the last couple of years. I yeah. Love that. Yeah. It's hard, especially when you're so close to your family to live so far from them. It is, it is. You and know, also a blessing so. because you honestly just learn how valuable it is. Yeah. So it's a blessing. You just have that, that gratitude more. You're able to really think when you're with them, you're just like, oh, this is so nice. This you is know? nice. Yeah, so, exactly. This yeah. is this is really important. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean to be human? It means to remember that even though other people's weeds may seem unfamiliar, you also have the, have weeds of your own. So every time, like for me, every time we constantly want us, ourselves to feel superhuman. 
where, oh, this person did this, this person has this um, weed in them that I don't recognize in myself, which means they must be worse of a human than I am. But actually, we all have weeds. They just come up in different flowers and different colors and different some are prickly, some are furry. You know, there's just so many different types of weeds. But just because you don't recognize in that recognize one in that person doesn't mean yours are any better. And so I think to be human means to recognize we all have weeds and they are all equally good and equally bad. And there is no place for judgment. <laughs> like, let's look exactly. at let's, until we played our weeds. We cannot be looking at other people's weeds. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and as I've gotten older, I actually realized that the things that I criticize or become judgmental about in other people, I either have currently, have had, or will have in the future. Absolutely. So it's almost like it's almost own. like a mirror. It's almost like you just reflect it back onto yourself. And then then you're thinking, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> the irony of life. I was so annoyed by that thing. And then I turned around and I did the same thing. <laughs> Every single person is not only a mirror, but they've come into our life to teach us the lessons we have to learn. And those lessons are sometimes about ourselves, <laughs> not about them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Roddy, this has been fantastic. What a Thank wonderful you. conversation. I just love your book. I hope that everybody Thank buys so it. Much. It's It's very unique. It offers a fresh perspective, things that a lot of us haven't heard about before, but different foods and spices, but also rituals that we can integrate into our lives and ways that we can think about our wellness. So if you could please tell us where listeners can connect with you, uh, what products and services you offer and where we can find your book. So you can find me on Instagram at Radhi Devlukia. Um, you can find my book at Joyful, J-O-Y-F-U-L-L. B-O-O-K dot com and um, products and services. I create a lot of food content online. Lots of easy plant-based vibrant recipes. Um, I also have a website, RadhiDevlika.com, where I share all the recipes on there too. And yeah, hopefully wherever you go, you'll find a little bit more joy in your life. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for being Thank a guest you. today. I really appreciate you. Have a plantastic day. I have to tell you that because you're I very plantastic. That. I can't let it go. It's like every time I want to say it, <laughs> so I'm just going to say it. Have a plantastic day. Thank you. <laughs> you too. My name's Radhi and I am human. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Am Human. I would be so honored if you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. We love our listeners and take your feedback seriously. If you have questions or constructive feedback, you can email us at podcast at dryami.com. That's podcast at d-o-c-t-o-r-y-a-m-i.com. I am your host, Dr. Yami Casorla Lancaster. I Am Human is produced by myself and Alejandra Parra. Graphics designed by Alejandra Parra. Music by Angela Sof with Glowbox Productions and edited by the Castos Production Team. Remember, human, you are here for a reason. Have fun, explore, and live your life to the fullest.